Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McClanahan, and it's fantastic to have you as part of our community of listeners. We know that the audience for the podcast is growing all across the world. And if you're enjoying what we do, I really encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. The podcasts I enjoy the most were all recommended to me by friends. So if you like Let's Talk Social Work, do pass us on. Today, we're back focusing on social work in Wales, more specifically anti-racist social work practice in Wales. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Abid Quinn Aziz, Social Work Programme Director at Cardiff University, Jade Forbes, Senior Social Worker and Approved Mental Health Professional based in South East Wales, and Gaynor Legall, former social worker, chairperson of the community organisation The Heritage and Cultural Exchange and member of the governance group of the Welsh Government's Anti-Racist Wales Action Plan. Jade and Abbott are also members of the Basra Cymru Anti-Racism Group. Gainer, Jade, Abbott, how are you doing? Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Abbott. Jade, how are you doing? I'm okay, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Good. And this is unusual for me because I'm sitting here. Well, it's not unusual to be sitting in my front room in Belfast, but it is unusual to interview three people who are all together. You guys are all sitting in Abbott's office in Cardiff. Is that right? Yeah. In the middle of Cardiff and yeah. in the very old um, Glamorgan County Council building. So uh, oh, quite a historic okay. building and the sun shining like a sometimes I can does see, in Cardiff. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. It's beautiful. I can. I feel like I'm doing Ireland a disservice. I've, I've, we have a lot of sun. I've got my curtains closed for the acoustic yeah. environment that I, I seek to... <laughs> to uh, genuinely, I'm not, I'm not messing around. It's. It's. I, tr- I try to make it sound as good as possible. Um, that's great. Um, Gaynor, how are you? You feeling good? Yes, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good. Thank you. Great, great. Well, let's get started. Today, as I mentioned in the introduction, we're discussing racism in Wales and the extent to which anti-racist practice has been embedded in local authorities. But before we do that, I want to start with the big picture, the big strategic context. Abed, in 2022, the Welsh Government published its Anti-Racist Wales Action Plan. And as I mentioned also in the introduction, Gaynor, you've been involved in the governance group of the Welsh Government's Anti-Racist Wales Action Plan. So, Abed... Gainer, can you tell me about the ambition of the government and whether political leaders in Wales have gone far enough in their efforts to, to work towards an anti-racist society? I think Welsh, Welsh government recognised that there was a need to look at racism. Um, to, to put it into context, I think our government's quite accessible to, to the people, especially the people of Cardiff and universities and local community groups. So there was there were lots of conversations around discrimination or racism. And you will know that our first minister and the deputy minister both have social 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 science and social work backgrounds. So these kinds of issues were really key for them. Um, they they set up a group to consult with local community organizations. There was initially it was going to be a a race equality action plan and very quickly they realized that it was about anti-racism so it's become an anti-racist action plan and and talk me through the difference there because race equality that's something we hear about a lot anti-racism is my understanding a more ambitious uh, a more active sort of um approach initially um the idea was there was going to be a strategy and a strategy for equality in wales But then as the consultations became more intense and the people who were being consulted in organisations said, we are tired of strategies. Mm. We want to see some action, some real change. So it it evolved into an action plan. So the idea is that um, there will be some outcomes. Mm. And and the, the governance group that I sit on is monitoring the progress of the Welsh Government towards those outcomes. So the the end result is that there is real change in the lives of black, um, black Asian and minority ethnic people living in Wales, that they actually see the difference that this action plan makes. And I think that the, that change from non-racism to anti-racism understands that it's an active thing, that we will have to do things differently. Not just that we'll have to stop being racist as individuals, but we will have to actually embed policies and actions and measure them that are anti-racist. 
And I think that that's a really strong, strong part of the plan. And it's 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 addressing the problem properly. I mean, when you look at the UK context, and to kind of paraphrase, when I was reading. The government, the UK government's, um, uh, it's Inclusive Britain, it's called, and that was informed by the Sewell report. There's a sort of approach which says, you know, for many, many people in the UK, racism isn't a problem. And for some people it is, which feels a bit like, you know, when you have a problem, you need to address the problem. You don't talk about everybody who isn't affected. You need to look at who are affected. Uh, that struck me then with Wales. It is a much more active. It's a much more engaged process. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's an ambition to to make an anti-racist society by 2030 for everyone, not just for black people. And that, and that recognizing that we all need to do that. So, so you know, simple examples like teaching black history in school. It won't just be taught to black kids; it'll be taught to everyone because it's significant that everyone knows. So, yeah, that that point that it's about everyone rather than fixing problems to actually creating a better society. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people struggled with the difference between being anti-racist and um, what they saw as, um, you know, open access, equality for all. Mm. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of work has gone into um, trying to get that understanding of, you know, making a change in the way that you, each of us as individuals, um, think and and deliver. And just explore that a little bit more. Then the difference between being non-racist and being anti-racist. If you could kind of sum that up in a couple of lines. I suppose being non-racist feels a bit fluffy, really. That you know, I, I've got all my words right, and I I won't use the wrong words and. I'll carry on with my life as normal and everything will be okay. And anti-racist is, actually, racism exists. There's, there's massive discrimination and disproportionate, you know, look at education, health, social care, housing, employment. We need to actively do something to challenge that rather than just being nice people. None. You know, none is a, you know, a non-entity, non-this. It, it's a nothingness. Nothing. Is there such a word? Anyway, sounds okay, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is not, certainly not an active mm. word. And we're looking for action. And one of the big criticisms of the Sewell report and then the Inclusive Britain report was that it doesn't seem to adequately address the issue of structural racism. Has that been uh, focused on sufficiently in the anti-racist Wales plan? Yeah, and there are a whole whole variety of strands. So, so one of them is just about creating better education, educating people around equality. But the the key things around things like representation in public life or in government, really looking at structures, looking at employment practices, recruitment practices, um, shortlisting practices. Um, so, looking at structural issues, not just individual behaviours. And I think that's, again, another strength, very opposite to the Saul report, is Welsh Government looking at, it's a structural issue. And, um, I mean, at the risk of going into critical race theory, that we've got... We've please, had, just please do, please do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that we, we create laws to counter discrimination, but actually the laws don't work because there are structures all around the education system brings children up to be racist, so we need to address that. The health system has inequality embedded in there. So that, that idea of really looking at everything and policies in a critical way to challenge that. Um, and that was where the, the Saul, I think the Saul report in Wales was greeted with laughter, probably. It, it, it was a whitewash and it was almost blaming Centralizing racism. In Sorry, those... I can't. I can't resist it. No pun intended. No, the whitewash. <laughs> no. You've lost me now. You've lost me now. Sorry, I apologise. Um, you were saying that the the, the Sewell report in Wales was received as if it was a. You said it was uh, the response was laughter. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a joke. As a, as a, yeah, it's a joke. But it, it you know it. it it was a whitewash that it really didn't address the issues as we feel them and see them. And it was it was trying to 
individualized incident. You know, that person's racist or that person's experiencing racism. Whereas in Wales, we see it as a very, it's a public thing. Abby, can I ask you, why did you hesitate to talk about critical race theory? Is that just you didn't want to take us down a tangent? Or, you know, what was the, why was that your response? A whole variety of reasons. I suppose it, it, it's, again, there are government, UK government, Westminster government, condemnation of critical race theory. Um, there's a lot of pushback against critical race theory that almost that it's universities teaching people snowflake approaches. And actually, for me, critical race theory really makes sense. If we're looking at social work, how can we not take a critical approach rather than thinking that this family with a black child are bad parents, and we ignore that they live in an environment that's run down without any resources, and a racist school. So so yeah, my hesitance was around that kind of the, the pushback around the term critical race theory, whereas it really explains stuff to me. It explains why things are the way they are. Mm. Yeah. I agree. It has become one of those sort of culture war terms and often misunderstood or willfully misunderstood. That was just really keen to thank you for, for sharing that. That was helpful. If we, wanna, if we can move on then, in our preparation, uh, Jade, you explained that you'd be happy to discuss your lived experience of racism as a social work practitioner. And I'd be really keen to hear about some of the experiences you've had, um, some of the abuse that you've received. Are you, are you still happy to talk about that? Yes, yes, of course. I think that it was interesting because when we started the Basra group, um, what was quite refreshing, actually, um, was that when I was discussing my experiences, which can be quite I guess it makes you feel quite isolated um, that it was, you know, you soon realise that my experiences were very much the same experiences as everyone else, just individualised. Um, so I've left local authorities because of racism um, and the lack of action as a result of me bringing up um, racism and direct racism within, the, you know, within the workplace. So would that be a case of the, the the racism you've experienced from service users, but then also the institutional racism you experienced within the local authority and its failure to address? Absolutely. Can we talk? Can we talk yeah. at those two levels then, in terms of experiences okay. you've had with service users? Obviously, not you know focusing too much detail about and individual cases or anything, but sort of the issues that you're experiencing. Yeah. So an example of that is that um, I've worked across you know, many authorities within Wales. Um, the authorities probably lower down in Wales, more south, um, are, I would say, obviously, with the, the, the greater population of um, black people, um, that there is more of a kind of inclusivity, understanding of race. Um, the further you go away from, you know, the, the capital cities, um, there is less of that. Um, and people maybe that haven't, you know, come across and don't come across black people on a daily basis. Um, so um, people who, you know, are, would find it difficult to have a black social worker um, and are quite open in expressing that, you know, they don't want a black social worker or um, open in expressing racist views maybe about Asian people if I'm working alongside them and, and, and then having to challenge that and then, you know, having to then come across fragility and so forth within that. So that I think that is was one of the most complex and difficult things to work within because it's almost like I I would then be thinking, you know, if you're talking about this individual in that kind of way, I'm wondering what the hell you're saying about me when I'm, <laughs> you know, um, or is it that I'm okay because obviously you know me now, so I'm a different type of black person? It's all of these mm. different kinds of paradigms, you know? Um, and I think that was difficult. And then not having a peer group to kind of reflect that in within supervision. Because, um, you know, you discuss it, but it's it's almost like unless you've kind of got that lived in experience or um, training or, you know, a good level of understanding around it, it, it almost falls on deaf ears because it's not a language that someone else understands. You know, and were you the only black social worker in in your team at the time? Um, probably within the local authority. Oh, is that right? Okay, yes. okay, yeah. Okay, do we um do we have any um statistics in terms of the ethnic diversity in Wales and how it compares to the rest of the UK? Not not in the profession, we don't. Um, and I know we're we're pushing to try and do that. Mm. So um so yeah, four four point nine percent of the population in Wales identify as black and minority ethnic. 
Um, it, it goes up to 15.8 in Cardiff and 12.5 in Newport. So it's very localised around here. So you could travel through mid-Wales. And I mean, we were talking about it a few days ago, that you'd never see anyone black or brown, apart from the GPs, the pharmacists, corn Take shops, away. takeaways. <laughs> and I think... Yeah. I'm going to check this to make sure I'm not wrong. I think the UK percentage of black and ethnic minority uh, people is 5.5%, I think. Around six, I think. So, yeah. Oh, around six. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Jade. That was a bit of a, I took that on a bit of a tangent. So you were talking about the experiences that you had working with service users, but then when you raised those issues with your managers, what were you hearing? Um, It's almost, it's like I said, it's almost like a language they don't understand. It's, um, you know, you raise it, it's discussed. How do you feel about that? And then how are you going to manage that? There's mm-hmm. nothing really that there's any kind of support network around that. Or um, I guess solution-focused um, outcomes around that, you know? Um, and was, was the feeling then that, um, I'm presuming your managers were white, was it was it a feeling there that they just didn't get it? They, they didn't get the gravity of how you were being affected? I guess maybe, I, I, well, I worked with really good social workers and my, my managers were absolutely awesome. Um, I guess it's that they didn't have the tools to, you know, find a solution to that, you know, because it's, it's more structural, isn't it? You know, then it comes down to the lived experience issue uh, and coming back to the anti-racist Wales action plan. Yeah. You know, I know that focusing on the lived experience of people who have experienced racism was, is critical to that. So, yeah, it's despite someone's professionalism, mm. if they haven't experienced an issue and they don't have the tools, as you said, to, to support their staff, that's that's where the problems are. Yeah. Gaynor, you've had a very extensive and varied career. Um, so Jade's been talking about her experiences, both working with service users, but also institutional racism um, within local authorities. How have you seen attitudes to racism in Wales change over the years? I was going to come in when, um, when Jade was talking. Um, I, I remember a particularly nasty um, incident that happened to me um, as a social worker. And I went back to the office space and I was absolutely furious and quite upset. Now, this was in the early 80s, late 70s, and there was no discussion uh, within any of the professions about racism. I mean, it just didn't exist. Uh, and those that complained um, were troublemakers, uh, rebels, radicals. Um, we barely got supervision, to be honest, um, of any kind. But I went back to the office this day and I was really angry and upset. And although I knew my uh, team leader didn't understand about racism and that, what she did understand was the need for support and empathy. And so after sort of I calmed down and she'd made me a cup of coffee and all the rest of it, she said, what do you want me to do about it? You know, and, and I'm thinking, what, 30 odd years later, you know, we can talk about um, looking for solutions and outcomes. But at the basics, there is, it ought to be about human interaction. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think there is something, something has gone wrong um, that, and sometimes I wonder, have we theorised uh, away the emotion that's involved? So it's not just about we are professionals and we need professionals' support. It is also, and a part of that, that we are individuals and human beings and we need that support that maybe, you know, um, in the context of our profession, but um, that, that is needed. And um, so all those years later, I've been sitting on a um, interview panels for social, social work students. And I was just, uh, I just felt so depressed at the end of it, at, at how little these young people, but that's the other difference is because of the degrees in the age range of social work training has altered since I trained. How little they knew about social policy, social justice, um, 
those sorts of concepts, um, they knew very, very little about. So there's been huge changes. Is that in the current day you're talking about, Gin, or is that a number of years back? This is current. This is current. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, last year was the last year. Okay. I'm stopped now. Um, issues about the environment, yes, but where um, people's lives, poverty, the root causes of poverty, the politics around um, deprivation, no, total un- unawareness. And we tried to, to, to feed questions in those areas in, in lots of different ways. Um, but those, the interviews were not in Cardiff. Had it been in Cardiff, um, perhaps there would have been different responses. So these were these were young people for, for, um, applying for social work course outside of of Cardiff. So there's been a lot of change, and there's been very little change. This, you know, that that is the the conclusion I've come to. Can I just probe that a little bit further, Gainer? Because you're saying less engagement with social justice issues, anti-poverty issues. I mean, my perception, and my perception could be altogether wrong, but my perception is sort of uh, student age generation uh, we have now have probably never been more engaged in issues around identity issues, trans rights issues, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, anti-racist issues. But you're saying that from a sort of... Uh, yeah, social policy, economic policy, that's where there's no engagement. Have I misunderstood you? Uh, and no, you haven't misunderstood me. And I think because I've, I've, I've asked myself and I asked the other the people involved in the interview process, where there, is, where there is individuals that are engaged with a specific issue, i.e. an issue that is about themselves, whether it's about um, sex and gender, whether it's about racism or whether it's about disability, they are very clued in. Where it is about issues that do not affect themselves, um, but there, there was very little interest and in, in awareness. And I, I, you know, I don't know why. I couldn't, I just... And this, this was repeated over a five, six-year period. That's really fascinating. I mean, it does kind of... It speaks to a greater focus on the individual, you know, and your your position in a in a group identity potentially, but yeah, less of a concept of society. I think I'd probably echo that as a as a worker at university. I think <clears throat> for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, our students are very very busy. It's a very demanding course, but the the few that stand up for social justice or, for example, anti racism. They stand out. It's not a general theme across. So, so that feels like it's changed. Mm. And and like you say, yeah, identity identity politics are really powerful all around. But the the structural changes or addressing campaigning, although I I I maybe am underselling my students. Um, our students did work free strongly and campaigned with Welsh Government around the bursary levels. Um, but then you could you could argue that that's an individual thing. They, it impacted them. So the campaigning is there, but social issues much less. I don't want to get off topic. The campaigning, congratulations as well on, on the success with the bursary, but the students that were campaigning, as I understood, they weren't actually going to benefit themselves. Yeah. It was going to be the, the yeah. ones following that, that That whole thing about that's real, that showed real passion that they campaigned to increase the bursary, knowing that they would have left and qualified. So it's the next generation. But that's what campaigning is all is about, mm-hmm. isn't it? I'm going to start making a list of the things that I would like to talk about that we can talk about in future episodes, guys, because uh, we're going to get back on to <laughs> just to keep the focus. Um, the question I wanted to move on. Oh. Can I just say that one of the one of the issues, though, from my experience of that those interviews and those. Um, potential social work students, I, I came away thinking, how are tutors, lecturers going to make a difference? How are they going to intervene? Mm-hmm. And then the other bit was because within the interviewing group, there were representatives from the local authorities. 
none of the local authorities involved, and they were local authorities from parts of Wales that had uh, very, very low percentages of, of black and minority ethnic people in them. They were not interested. So I, I just came away with, I thought, I hope they don't send any black students to work there because I knew they would get a bad time and absolutely no support. Do you know if any students were sent I there? don't. Sorry, any black students I don't, were sent and there? I think we, over the four, five-year period, there were only about six or seven black students that applied. Okay. Okay. And that's worryingly low, isn't it? That brings me, I suppose, to some of the research, and it's not been carried out in Wales, but across England, where social work educators, there are very few that are experienced and confident enough to address issues of, for example, racism. So one one study, um, I think it was in Sheffield or Birmingham, where, talk, where black and brown students were saying that it was left to them to fix this thing. And with all that's going on, it's easier to just sit quietly. And I think that's that's that impact, isn't it? That if we don't address it, we'll pretend it's not happening, so it's not happening, and then go out. So for not just the students that come in, but the, the academic system. And we could argue that social work is based on whiteness anyway, um, you know, the another conversation would be about it is it's another one i'm going to put on the list <laughs> decolonizing um, social work <laughs> yes yes um so albert and just come staying with the, the issue though in terms of um social work uh university courses you are the program director for social work at cardiff university <laughs> so in your experience in your what i believe is pretty extensive experience um to what extent do you see social work degree courses focusing and adequately promoting anti-racist practice so even let's start with your own has there been a change over the last number of years um, and then compared to other courses that you're aware of elsewhere in the UK? I think as an education sector around social work in Wales, we're, we're actually quite weak. Um, and I own that as a programme director as well. We, we in our very first week, our students will do a two-day anti-discriminatory practice workshop and, then, and there's a module on race um, and we clearly outline that this isn't the end of it. You, you haven't done this thing and tick it and off you go. And in the second year, I'll do another thing around discrimination and, and things. But it's not embedded. It, 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 it's almost my, I've got a great team and we're really interested in it. It's not embedded in social work education in Wales. Anti-discriminatory practices, anti-racist practices and and, um, and and although anti-racist practice is an aspect of anti-discriminatory practice, anti-discriminatory practice will cover issues around sexuality, yeah. gender, disability. I mean, is there is there, I suppose, is there too much subjectivity for a lecturer who has a particular focus on, say, anti-disability uh, discri discrimination to zone in on that when they're teaching their anti-discriminatory um, practice? I think there is a danger, and, and and I said about my team being brilliant. We we will talk about the kind of areas that we think as a group students need to be aware of. We can't cover all of them, so we try and cover and almost open the conversation. Well, I'll just come back on that, though, because I'm conscious that I used the example of um, anti-disability discrimination, and I don't want to, to, to suggest that that is in any way something that shouldn't be focused on. The point you were making is you can't focus on everything. I mean, the point I put back to you is, oughtn't you focus on everything? Is it not, you know, because we don't want to have a hierarchy of discrimination, you know, and surely there must be a... Um, a need to, to address gender issues, sexuality, race, yep. disability. Yeah. Yeah. There are. There are. And, and that's the balance, that a risk about taking a broader view is that none of those get addressed. And, I, and, and so the balance is, do we focus on some? Just in terms of time, we'll pick five, five six particular ones of those. And don't ask me to rem remember which six those are. And they will change as well, depending on expertise, what happened last year, how, how we do that. I think what we wanted to do, and I think what Welsh Government wanted to do, was to move away from a let's try and address everything. So actually, let's, let's just pick a thing and deal with it. Doesn't mean we won't deal with the other things, but let's not water it down. I think, again, in social work practice, <clears throat> when it changed from the 
certificate of qualification in social work, sets were and everything. It was look it used to look at race, and then it became discrimination. And there's a lot of critique about when it went to discrimination, it lost a focus. And racism got missed out, really. I suppose because of our topic, I'm focusing on racism. It could be any any one of those. Um, I think we're probably looking in much more closely at, for example, um, gender issues or gender identity or gypsy Roma traveller. But my worry is that by diluting it, we don't address any of them. I used to, when I was at university in Queens in Belfast, I had a fantastic lecturer, a guy called John Barry, who has actually been on the podcast before when we were talking about climate change um, and social work. And John had a great phrase, which was, compassion is a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. Now, recognising the concept of fat- compassion fatigue within practice, I, I see that as a separate issue. But in terms of just, yeah, switching people, his, his thinking was you switch people on to issues of injustice, whether it be about gender, race, um, sexuality, you can then broaden someone's mindset to be mm, looking at yeah. other things. Mm, but that then brings you back just to what Gaynor was saying about how, you know, the kind of the individualist kind of mindset of yeah. people being switched on to the issues that affect them most fundamentally. Um, yeah, and that's that's obviously something which needs to be worked on. But I want to I wanna look at um, training in, in, in local authorities. So Jade and, and Gaynor also in your experience, what training were you receiving as parts of social work teams um, about um, anti-racist practice? What ha- have you received any over the years? No, and I, the 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 term had not been coined. Nobody would have understood what I was talking about back then. Um, okay. No, there was there was there was no anti-discriminatory practice. You know, everybody, you got what you. The families and the individuals we worked with got whatever um, intuition, um, I can't think of the words, um, whatever practice that the social worker that worked with that family or individual had to offer. So it was a very much a, a, a process that was between the individual family and the, and the individual social worker. And that stayed the same for a very long time. But, I mean, my first day uh, uh, as a social worker, I was handed a stack of files with 52 uh, case files. Um, and those were, that was my, my caseload. And that was on my first day. <laughs> that was something else. So, mm. I mean, things have changed and improved. Well, from a kind of training perspective, I personally, the only... I know there's training courses like cultural sensitivity and things like that. Um, But I know that they are rolling out more courses now. But I think we've fallen into the risk of governments are cutting back, local governments are cutting back on their, on, on, you know, their spending at the moment. And a lot of the good providers, their courses are expensive. So, and they're not seen as essential. You know, I've raised a couple of courses and asked for teams to attend, um, you know, focused, solu- uh, solution-focused, um, anti-racist courses and things. But, um, you know, nothing's really materialised. And I think those things are essential because, unfortunately, what happens is I, as the black professional and practitioner within the team, end up answering all of the all of the race-related questions. Um, obviously, because they know I've got a particular interest in this area as well, and I do certain work around it. So, but I don't think that that's my role to be educator, and you know, that's the, that's the local. And I'm, I'm hoping with the action plan that it does come from the top down rather than you know the, pra- the black practitioners within the team having to educate everyone because it can be exhausting sometimes. You know, it can be exhausting. I imagine it can also be hurtful, harmful when it's when it's bringing up issues that you've experienced in the past, yes. Absolutely. I think I was using the term when I was discussing it with someone recently as the, the wounded healer. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, our local authorities, I mean, I we made an episode recently. It was a lovely episode. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to it. It was about co-production and um, Camden Council and an, an initiative they have where they're providing um, products for the hair care and skin care needs of black foster children. Yeah. So and also helping foster parents understand what those needs are. So a really kind of lovely kind of small, very practical level of co-production done really, really well with foster carers and also um, the children involved. Um, The guy involved in that uh, social worker called James Carbo, um, great fella. 
and he is he recently moved into a post i think it's anti-racist lead um in camden council sorry that was a long kind of prelude to the question which is do those sorts of posts exist in any local authorities in wales no i've no. specifically looked for them um okay. and specifically looking for posts where you know, I can make change um, and things like that because sometimes, it's, like I said, it can be absolutely exhausting trying to do my my main job, but mm. within, uh, uh, you know, having this interest and wanting to push things forward and knowing where that needs to come from. Um, no, there's nothing. And I see all of the posts in England in different local authorities around like specific anti-racist mm. social work practice within children's services and you know, there's 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 nothing in Wales. There's you know support now. I see education a lot of a lot of posts within education mm. being published, um, but but nothing in particular around social work. So then the training that is needed. I'm just going to lead on to a piece of work that Abbott's been involved in, but I'd like to widen it out to ask others about the training needs that you 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 recognise. Um, Abbott, you were involved in the development of the Check Your Thinking resources, and that's a set of cards that are designed to prompt discussion in a group setting. And so, the, the, actually, well, the question I had about that was, you know, to what extent do you perceive a hesitancy to discuss anti-racist practice on the basis that people are afraid of asking or saying the wrong thing? Yeah, I think, um, especially just even going back to that first week of training for social work students, one of the first things is to to say, don't be scared of saying the wrong thing. This is how we learn. And we'd rather that someone came out accidentally with the wrong thing than not ask and, and act like they knew. So, so, so yeah, it, it, I think those are uh, the anti-racist cards. They're, they're prompts. They're just to get people to think about. Just like you mentioned, the, the hair care products. Do you ask about them? How do you ask? Do you, is it all right to ask about black hair? Is it all right to... What's all right and what isn't? And I, it was a set of cards that was... Um, across all children and we've just designed I was part of a group designing just six that get people to think about stuff around race it's not all the questions you you might want to know about race but it helps start that conversation that conversation of where are you from where are you really from (laughs) which other language that you speak is that a question is that a question you're asked Savage that I'm asked yeah yeah Oh yeah, I think we've already yeah. asked her on this. Because I'm from yeah. Wembley. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I, in, I think we um, we we talked about our backgrounds, and yeah, I grew up in East Africa from Asian grandparents, moved to Wembley, come and live in Cardiff, and yeah, you know, I speak like I speak quite middle classly, but you should have heard my accents through my life. <laughs> I was just going to go back to the training and you asked Gaynor and Jade about their local authority training. I was really privileged on my social work education. I was in Gaynor's team. So I I was, you know, I was really, really lucky. Um, But social work training or social work is based on national occupational standards in Wales. And there is no mention of race. There's mention of discrimination. And the Baswa anti-racist group is is working really hard to to look at racism, to think about employing anti-racist practitioners, those those kinds of things. Recognizing it's difficult, but it needs to be done. And so, Jade and, and Gainer, where's the training needs that you identify? What would you think needs to happen? What sort of training do, do social work teams need? It was funny because last week, I think it was, I had a phone call from a friend who was ringing on behalf of another friend whose daughter um, was fostering two um, black girls. And she didn't know what to do or how to care for their hair, but didn't feel that she could ask the social worker. So, you know, da-da-da, and said... I'll get in touch with with Gaynor. Um, There will be somewhere in Butte Town that she can get some products. Well, there isn't, but I could direct it in the right direction. So that thing about that you started, it it seems such a petty, you know, what, what do I put on this child's hair and how do I do it? It seems a small thing, but it links all the way back to the sort of training. So there's a need for training for foster carers and that ability that Abid mentioned 
earlier on about uh, having the whatever it takes, the courage, um, the confidence to ask that that question. So more training for social for foster carers and other carers, but also then the trainers need to have training, um, and 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 it is about um, raising the awareness of what racism is actually about. And we go back, we're going right back to where we started from. Yeah. Those structural things that, that are all around us that may not affect us in totality, but in everyday living, different parts of that structure will, will impact on our lives in a particular way if you are a, a black person. And it's trying to get some sort of understanding so that the, the educators can impart that um, that understanding. And, and then somehow, because social work, you know, how much can you teach mm. in the, the, the touch? You know, you're still learning for years after you qualify. But to give some space and encouragement for social workers once qualified mm. to develop themselves in their understanding. I think, you know, as a practice educator as well at the moment and seeing, you know, I'm 36, Brycey, these really young social workers coming through and I, it makes me feel old. Um, and I, I see the way that the, their learning style is completely different to the way I learn things, you know? Um, and it's almost like they, it's a very tick box exercise with the students, especially from the national occupational standards. Cause they know these are the things that we need to pass. So we need to evidence this, this, that, that, you know? Um, and I think it's about that integration of learning and for me, I think that there needs to be more emphasis on personally with the students coming through the national occupational standards. Um, and I think there needs to be a clearer kind of pathway around that and how their power, I think, are even like elements of, even if it, it doesn't necessarily need to be um, specifically um, anti-racism, but there needs to be anti-racism within there somewhere, um, even if it's within the, the you know discussion about power and how you use your professional power and say for instance a, a caveat to that is you know how do you think your your power um, would impact someone from an anti-racist perspective you know because that that would then get you thinking of how you would personally impact then on someone else mm-hmm. it then questions things like white fragility you know um, and all of the other stuff like that as well um, and it gets pers- people to think more you know intrapersonally you know um so yeah i think that that's definitely for social work students but uh, again i mirror you know what what gainer says about foster carers um residential care um um um, residential and nursing care you know i know um elderly people who are in nursing homes that have eaten caribbean food for all of their all Mm. of their lives and then they're going into nursing care um, and the, the foods that they're being provided with is not something that they would usually eat. And then they become malnutrition, dehydrated, mm. and they think it's as a result of dementia, where actually it's not. It's that their palate is not, you know, used to. Or, or, so I think that all of those, all of those, I think that training, it, it, needs to, it needs to be across the board. And that's really fascinating because in the episode I was talking about, about the hair care and skincare, we also talked about wider cultural issues and one of them, the most obvious ones is food. We were talking about that from the, the perspective of children's services. So again, yes, total blind spot for me. I hadn't even thought in terms of older people's services, people going into residential care. And mental health units, you yeah. know, um, often within mental health units. Um, so I see a lot, you know, a lot of more Asian and black people coming through now. Um, and and even even around that and and cultural sensitivity about mm. having prayer rooms and mm. yeah it's, it's there's a massive lack of and it's almost like people are then being awkward if they're then requesting that and how do we facilitate leave off a ward for someone and it's just it's problem solving and that's all it's about but I think if if there are if there's our awareness of what not just white people need that that everyone needs. So if someone is coming onto the wards and they have a you know particular faith, um, it is. I I just think that there needs to be a lot more um, discussions about it and and solutions focused rather than just you know. But one of the the one of the um, uh, issues that I think we've lost a little bit that was very topical was the person centred approach, and so. I keep, and I still keep on to people, ask the question because um, I got caught up in an issue where in a very elderly 
black woman went into a care home and they immediately um, thought that she needed to have Caribbean food and there was this big conflab about where they could um, get Caribbean food to, to, for her to eat. She'd never eaten Caribbean food. <laughs> she was born and brought up in, in, in Wales. And when I got involved, I said, have you asked her? And she said to me, I'm dying for a bit of shepherd's pie. <laughs> you know? And they give it. she said, they're giving it to them and they're not giving it to me. Why? So she was becoming aggressive yeah. because she thought she was being left out. And so I said, what, did anybody speak to her? So in lots of the, lots of the problems stem from the fact that you didn't take the time mm. to find out what that individual wanted. And we can't respond to every individual because we work within a system and we work within, you know, um, finite resources. But we, you, we can tailor our responses, you know, to some extent. And, and I think that um, that doesn't happen. It's interesting you say that because when I started in social work, the assessment formats have changed so much mm. um and the i remember the first format of assessment the questions were so there was everything the food you eat the yeah. you know the type of walking stick that you use oh now it's almost like so what would make your well-being it's so generic the questions that no one will that professional curiosity is lost yes i find yeah, yeah that's so, the word professional curiosity mm, yeah yeah thank you jade now time is against us and I'm, I, I want to wrap up um, but I have one final question and this is quite a big question earlier on we mentioned the, the Welsh Government's anti-racist action plan um, and one of the issues that was flagged up in that um, was the mandatory teaching of black history in schools and that's that's an area that I believe that Wales is kind of pulling ahead of other parts of the UK on in, but however you know other issues in terms of uh, the Welsh response I'm thinking about um, the UK and the Ukraine crisis so the UK's response to the Ukraine crisis Compare that, for example, to the treatment of those seeking to cross English Channel in small boats to seek asylum. You know, that has highlighted how there have been racially based differences in how foreign conflicts are addressed and responded to at a UK level. But zoning back in on Wales, Wales is a nation of sanctuary. Um, first of all, could somebody tell me just what that means and also how being a nation of sanctuary has affected the Welsh national response to refugees? I think it's about having the idea of being welcoming to refugees and recognizing that these are people who need sanctuary and, and, and space. But in actuality, it's quite hard to work out what those exact things are. An example is, for example, Ukrainian refugees were given free bus passes around town. Um, so that's, that's one example. There's, there's an acknowledgement that we need to do things. Another example would be that, um, there are events at the Senate, the, the, the Welsh Government building, that open out to refugees. So raising awareness. But I, I, I struggled to find actual, so this is what we do, this. Well, here's just coming back on that then, Abbott, in terms of if it's more a case of being a nation of sanctuary, being um, an ethical kind of approach, uh, you know, a, a more caring approach. If you think about where there have been um, protests, far-right protests against um, people seeking asylum in the UK in different parts of the, the, the UK, in different parts of England. Has there been anything similar happen in Wales? I mean, it's been happening in Dublin as well, in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, has anything similar happened in Wales? One one group of Syrian refugees were housed, housed in an ex-army barracks in Pembrokeshire. And um, it was supposedly a protest of local people, but of course it attracted lots of far-right people and counter-protesters. Um, the, yeah, Pembrokeshire is quite a small place and the, the far right were worried, said they were worried about the effect on the environment, the risk to children, women, all that kind of stuff. Um, actually, the, the people supporting refugees also were complaining because the, the barracks were old, mouldy. So it's a bit of a horrible thing. But just last weekend or the weekend before, there was a protest against refugees in Swansea. Um, and I suppose there's quite a strong anti-racist left-wing group across Wales, so counter-protests. So, so yeah, we're not, we're not immune from that. 
the the far right protesting on the basis of environmental concerns that's a new one for me you wonder like are they also protesting against sewage being dumped into water courses you know no, they're silent on that matter yes it's just the things that people alight on you know um we were talking i i interviewed rory truel from the international federation of social work social workers sorry um at the start of the year about um the response to the ukraine crisis and talking about anti-immigrant sorry anti anti-asylum seeker sentiments in bordering countries of ukraine and and you know far right you know opposing people on the basis you know it's that sort of you know homes for i give the example actually of you know far right in the uk talking about homes for um army veterans etc but it only ever seems to come up when asylum seekers are needing home you don't hear an awful lot about calls for homes for army veterans all the other times you know it's just the alighting sorry i've just got off on one but alighting on these niche issues to bolster a, just an altogether you know immoral campaign is it's it's ludicrous but you know that i'm just voicing my thoughts um Nation of Sanctuary. Anybody else? Any thoughts on, on how that has that has had any tangible outcomes? One of the other um, initiatives the, the Welsh government took was that they housed um, some of the Afghanistan refugees in the um, in a, a, a building owned by uh, the Welsh government um, and tried to develop the support system so organised meetings of different voluntary groups to come together to offer them support. Um, Swansea's response has mm. been, I think, quite good in that it has brought a lot of the voluntary sector mm. uh, organisations together to look at the way in which they give, you know, they deliver their service to include um, refugees and um, asylum seekers. But, you know... Um, I don't think anybody living in Wales could say, sit back and on our laurels. Yeah. Um, you know, there there is a lot of work to do. And what is, you know, I, I have to say this, um, Cardiff is the home of the oldest black settled community in the UK. One would think that over the years, um, you know, that we've learned more. But, you know, I I know that I am accepted in some cases because I am a Cardiffian, you can tell by my accent. But they will, you know, I have had people talk in the most racist terms about other groups of people. It's not you, though. No. You're all right. Yeah. You're one of us, you know. Mm. So Wales, like everywhere else, has a long way to go. But at least Wales, I think, has made a good start. I think what we've done in Wales is recognise that there is a journey to be yes. to be got on. And that's the difference with uh, the earlier example of England, where the argument is, no, no, that it's not even an issue. Here it is an issue, and let's make a plan. Let's aim for it. Let's make some clear steps. Let's really measure those steps, and let's let's work towards something. I know that people listening will most likely want to get involved in the Basra Kumri anti-racism group. I will put a link in the show notes um, as to how they can find out more and get involved. But for today, Gainer, Abed, Jade, thank you so much for being on Let's Talk Social Work. It's been fantastic. Thank, thank you, Andy. You. Thank you. Bye.